what it is. Looking for a better way to get up out of bed instead of getting on the internet and checking a new hit. Get up, first shot, come strut walking. A little bit of humble, a little bit of cautious. Somewhere between like Rocky and Cosby's for the game. Nope, nope, y'all can't copy it. Bad, moonwalking. And this here is our party. My posse's been on Broadway, and we did it all way. Chrome music. I shed my skin and put my bones into everything I record to it. And yeah, I'm on. Let that stage light go and shine on down. Bob Barker, suit game, and Plinko in my style. Money, stay on my craft and stick around for those pounds. But I do that to pass the torch and put on for my town. Trust me, on my I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T shit hustling. Chasing dreams since I was 14 with the four track bussing. Halfway across that city with the back, 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 question. Labels out here, now they can't tell me nothing. We give that to the people. Spread it across the country. Labels out here. Now they can't tell me nothing. We give it to the people. Spread it across the country. Can we go back? This is the moment. Tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over. So we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't hold us. Can we go What is going on, everybody? Hope you guys are all doing well out there. I'm very excited about today's show. I've got an interview I actually recorded a couple days ago, so you might hear us referencing this last weekend's um, playoff matchups with uh, more specifically the Seattle Seahawks and the New Orleans Saints. Luckily for our guest on today's program, Dan Rowe, at that Dan Rowe, um, D A N R O E that Dan Rowe on Twitter. Um, luckily for him, he's a Seattle Seahawks fan, so he's going to be able to watch his team in the NFC Championship game uh, coming up this weekend against the San Francisco 49ers, who I have some uh, ties. I think a good thing we did this interview actually before those two teams played because you know, as much as I like my friend here. Um, you know, I've got season tickets to the San Francisco 49ers next year, so I'm certainly going to be pulling for the Niners. Um, and my team, as you know, made an embarrassing exit uh, for the third straight year out of the playoffs in the first round. Um, so their season is over, and my ba- I'm rooting for my backup team, essentially, which is kind of a, which is, you know, kind of, I don't want to say the word that I, you know, this is a family program in, in some sense. I don't want to say the word that I want to say, but having a backup team is a little wishy-washy. But, uh, you know, the NFL so, you know, you can root for an AFC and an NFC team as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. Because the chances of the meeting in a championship game are probably relatively slim, especially when one of your teams is the Cincinnati Bengals. But... Moving on to today's show, obviously we're going to be talking about um, some things with Dan. One of the first things that I wanted to bring to everybody's attention out there, if we have any any soccer fans, any MLS fans, any um, uh, forget European soccer, I forget what that league, Premier League, um, any Premier League fans um, and stuff like that, send me an email sportscardshow at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at sportscardradio or whatever. You you know how to get in contact me. Get in contact me. If you want to be involved with Tops. Tops is looking for people to get involved. We're doing uh, conference calls with them every quarter to talk about MLS cards, talk about soccer cards, talk about 
you know, what kind of cards should uh, Tops be thinking about putting in there. Tops will share some ideas and some products that they have down the pipeline, you know, four, five, seven, eight months away. Um, they have some products in the work. They'll let you know about that. They'll let you know about some of their non-sport offering. You know, one of the things that that I don't remember if I talked to Tops about this on their last call, but one of the things about Tops just in general is that brand does have brand recognition. You know, I worked at a card store and I realized people would come in and, oh, I haven't collected since this and I haven't collected since, you know, the 80s or the 90s. And it's the same story pretty much just a different day, a different guy um, would come in and tell me the same story. Well, the brand they would remember is Tops. I mean, Tops would be immediate. Bowman would, would often be number two. They'd often know Upper Deck. And they'd often remember John Russ and Leaf, maybe, maybe, if they were real serious about cards, maybe they remember those two brands. So Tops has some brand recognition there. You know, Panini is still a toasted sandwich that they serve in in Italy or whatever. I don't know where that sandwich came from. But essentially, nobody knows Panini. I mean, you know, when, when I say nobody, if you listen to this podcast, of course you know them. But ask your mom who's never collected cards or ask some friends that have never ever collected cards what panini is and chances are they're going to tell you it's a sandwich but ask them what's top or show them the tops logo you know instead of asking them show them the panini logo and see if they know what that's from show them the tops logo and ask them if they know what kind of products they make chances are they're going to know show them the bowman logo they're going to know what what company what that company does and that's really important you know and not necessarily with cards like i said tops is it already has you guys you know if you listen to this podcast chances are you spend a little bit of money with tops every year um some way or another well they want to grab a hold maybe of some of this other markets you know there's a lot of uh you know other businesses that do a lot better than than selling cardboard you know selling games or selling uh action figures or selling other kind of fan items might be a lot more profitable and when you already have a brand name that people recognize and people know uh might be kind of cool to uh, leverage that a little bit so Anyways, my point was, is if you want to get involved, you'll hear Dan and I talk here a little bit when I get to the interview about tops and how they, they want people involved here. So if you're, if you know about soccer, you know, if you don't know anything about soccer and you just collect cards, I would say that's kind of my role on there. I don't know much about soccer, but, and maybe I don't know much about collecting cards or buying and selling cards, but you know. I at least try to, at least put up a facade that I do. What we really want are soccer fans, guys that know all the play, not all the players, but maybe know your team. You don't have to know the whole league, but if you're really passionate about a certain team in the MLS or Premier League or whatever it is, um, leagues in Mexico or leagues wherever, um, get involved, especially MLS, because the, the top says MLS license and they're looking for ideas. They're looking to bounce ideas off people. And so if you want to get involved with that, send me an email sportscardshow at gmail.com and I'll make sure you're involved or at least get the schedule um, for our next call, which should happen, you know, in a couple months from now. So, but um, get in contact me if you want to get involved in that. Um, before I get to our interview, I wanted to talk very quickly. I'm going to try to keep this under 10 minutes or so, um, about graded cards. I've got a couple emails this week from two different people about graded cards and they were really interesting, uh, scenarios that made me think a little bit about graded cards. The first email that I got 
was asking me my opinion if, you know, if you send a card in to get graded that has an autograph on it, um, Beckett, I, I believe Beckett's the only one. I might be wrong. Maybe PSA grades autographs now. I'm not 100% sure. But Beckett will do something like they'll give the card, say, a 9 grade. So the card's mint. But let's say the autograph's really nice and it doesn't have any bubbles in the ink and it doesn't run off the card and it's, you know, it's a nice signature. They might give it a 10 or a 9.5 gem mint. So you actually get two separate grades there. Well, my friend was asking me, the listener to the show was asking me, what... You know, it, he he had some people tell that tell him and, and kind of convey to him that a card that was graded mint nine but had a ten gem mint autograph was worth more than a card that was a nine point five gem mint but the autograph was only nine. So he was actually saying the card was in if the card was in better condition but the autograph was in worse condition that that card would be worth less than a card with maybe a ding corner or, or a frayed edge, but the autograph is perfect. And my opinion was, yes, in general, I would see that to be the case. And he actually put up a thread on blowout forums. So if you want to, uh, blowout cards forums, if you want to see what other people said, I'll put a link to that thread in the show notes. But a lot of people were saying, yeah, you know, the 995 is is worth more you know especially in the exa- most of the examples i saw people putting up in the threads were bryce harper autographs or aaron Rodgers or like you know lebron james rookie card or something and obviously you know what i mean when we get to this when we you get to the higher end cards cards that are worth more than a couple hundred dollars you're the market is always looking for some way to to say, oh, I've got the cooler Bryce Harper, or I want this Bryce Harper, or I want the most rare Bryce Harper Bowman autograph, or whatever. And I could see where collectors might pay more for the the autograph because it's higher end. I think on the lower end, where we're talking about the majority of cards, obviously not a lot of lower end cards get sent in for grading, but a lot of autograph rookies get sent in for grading, and then you know three or four late years later, the guy's out of the league, or the guy's not what he. Th- we thought he was going to be or, or what his potential might have been. So his cards are worth a lot less guys like at eh, Toby Gerhardt. And, you know, there's tons of guys out there that have, you know, Michael LaShore. There's plenty of guys that have, we th- were high draft picks and we thought they were going to be something and ended up not being anything. Um, but the, the point that there is, is I, I don't know if that, you know, most of the people on blowout forums are saying this was a hardline rule that if you have a 10 autograph, it's worth more than a card that's that has a lesser autograph, but the card's in, in better condition. I don't know if that rule holds true. You know, I didn't go through eBay and, and go through a bunch of market research, but I can imagine maybe with the lower end stuff, the difference there in the in the the ability to determine if if that card is worth more or less is less you know a toby gerhardt autograph is only worth so much money and you know a guy out of the league or injured or whatever is only going to be worth a little bit of money either way the difference is going to be minute but certainly when you get up into the bryce harper realm or the lebron james autograph or michael jordan autograph collectors there tend to be a little bit more fickle and they tend to be a little bit more in numbers so you have more people competing for the cards and you have more people with not necessarily super collections but larger collections of jordan autographs or kobe bryant or bryce harper you know the higher end guys so 
Um, I just thought that was interesting. I wanted to mention that. And, and, and maybe if you haven't thought about that or really weren't aware of that, maybe check out this blowout thread or next time you're on eBay, you know, check out the autograph grade and see if it's, you know, if it's a 10 and the card's a nine, it might, you know, it might sell for more than a Gemmet card that only has a nine grade on its autograph. I just thought that was interesting. Again, not from any research, real huge research that I've done. I, I see how that could be the case, but certainly at the higher end, but at the lower end, the lower end, $5 card, $5 rookie that, that has just happened to gone down in value. I don't know if you're going to have collectors, you know, say, Oh, I'll pay, you know, $20 more for this guy that doesn't even play anymore for his autograph. Cause it's in nice condition. The guy's autograph isn't worth very much. It's not even worth about as much as what the cardboard was printed on. So I think there's some, I don't know if I draw a hard line in the sand like some collectors would and say, oh, yeah, it's always worth more. Um, I think it depends. But certainly on the higher end stuff where you're really buying the autograph and it's autograph rookie or whatever. Um, certainly, And certainly if there's like bad autographs, if the guy has bad autographs and he's real sloppy and you happen to find one that's in real nice condition, certainly it might be worth paying more for it, even if the card might be not quite gem mint condition or mint condition. Second bit of grading, um, an email about grading cards that I got was from a collector that saw this Nolan Ryan rookie card sell. It was graded PSA 10, sold for like $16,000. I don't know if this was a recent auction or or what, but at some point, a Nolan Ryan PSA 10 rookie sold for $16,000. Kind of wondering, um, wanted to know my opinion on it, wanted to know, um, you know, if he, if what I thought. And, and, and really, uh, I think a lot of you guys know how I feel about spending. You, you, I can get on this show and I, I tell you guys, don't don't buy this or especially don't buy the new stuff. It always tends to go down and, you know, there's always 30 rookies or whatever that the leagues and the, and the brands are trying to prop up to you. They're going to be the next Joe Montana or the next Barry Sanders. And, and we know we can, we can go three, four years, five years later and there's always only about one or two, literally about one or two guys, maybe three guys that are truly valuable and truly made an impact for their teams and, and, and the league and, and are Hall of Fame type players if they're lucky um, years later. So you don't want to be buying the new stuff. It always goes, it often goes down in price anyways. Um, look at this year and look at last year's basketball and some other sets out there. And baseball last year went down. Anything without Puig and it just went down the tubes. Um, but he was asking my opinion about these grading cards and and. You know, $16,000 for Nolan Ryan. If you got 16 Gs, you know, and you want to spend it on a Nolan Ryan card, cool. Um, Nolan Ryan is one of the rare examples where I can see, you know, he's like a Mickey Mantle. But Nolan Ryan's actually probably more people are alive today that actually saw Nolan Ryan play. I mean, he played for 20-some-odd years, played for several different teams, and had success on virtually all those teams. And so Nolan Ryan's got tons of fans. And, you know, he played in Texas and now he owns a part of, I don't know if he owns part of the team really himself or if he's just somebody like a figurehead that owns half a 1% or whatever. I don't know the math um, or whatever. But Nolan Ryan is still, in, you know, in front of Texas fans, Texas Rangers fans still really look up to him. Um, and he, he's just got a huge fan base. So I could see somebody paying 16 G's for one of his cards. But... One of the interesting points that the emailer sent me was 
Um, and I forget that I don't have these emails up and I like, I think most of you guys know, I don't like to give out names and, and stuff like that on the air, unless you specifically say, give out my name or give out my Twitter account. And if, if the people that sent me this, I know you guys are listening, you guys can contact me again and I, I can give you credit, um, or credits do, but, um, you know, on a lowly rated <laughs> sports card podcast, I don't know how important it is to source uh, and give credit to people that all uh, 85 of our listeners are, are intently listening. But anyways, um, he wanted to know what I thought about this. And one of the interesting points that he brought up was, you know, grading cards, you know, f- for one thing, there's all the subjective value on grading cards because there's probably only a handful, maybe only one or two. I don't know. I didn't go to the PSA population report, but there's probably only a couple of these Nolan Ryan's graded in PSA 10 uh, condition. There's always that. Ch- the thing is with grading cards is if you have the one PSA 10 or the two, two or three of the only PSA 10s in existence, there's always that chance another one gets found. You know, you might have this guy that collected all his life and he's just been saving the, the cards are just sitting in sitting in an attic. You always hear, oh, found a Corvette in an attic or found this old coin or whatever. And then even at last year's national, I think they were there was that swamp, uh, black swamp, or I can't remember what they called the the cards, but they found all these tobacco cards that were graded really nice. And it was like a million dollar, multi-million dollar collection, I think. Um, these things can always be found. So you could always be left on the short end of the stick um, with the grading. So I think there's always that, that tug and pull there where, you know, maybe you have one of the few PSA 10s in existence, but hey, you never know. A guy could have four of them sitting in a box right now, or a guy could have... Uh, you know, be sitting on a couple and he's just, that's just what he does. He might not be that much money to him. So, or he might not be aware that they're in such good condition. Anyways, the, the other great point that he brought up was if you collect grading cards or you, you're thinking about collecting grading cards, one of the things that might deter you or the, one of the things that you might come to the realization of at some point is if you don't collect PSA 10s, or and even PSA nines, maybe to a certain extent, you're you're. Uh, it's almost like you're middle class if you're collecting sevens and eights and stuff like that. It's almost like you're collecting, you know, the 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 mid range, or you know what I mean. You're not you're not at the PSA ten level. You're not at the high end PSA nines, where the, those are really rare. Rare. You're collecting eights, sevens, six fives, and and below. So it, it's almost like it, as a consumer, it's like oh, I'm not buying the 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 old Ferrari that's worth a bunch of money. I'm buying the one that's all beat up and needs parts and doesn't run or whatever. You know what I mean? So. There's there is that level of I'm I, you know if you're not collecting PSA tens or you can't afford the PSA tens, you always feel like wow I I am not there yet and I don't know how awesome that would be and I think that's what attracts a lot of people in almost all the sports to collect those undervalued rookies or those rookies that weren't the number one pick that you know might have a chance to blossom in in later years or with more playing time. It's because we can collect the guy, and if he blows up, then all of a sudden we have a great collection, and everybody wants those cards, and we can sell them or show them off, and we look great. Uh, but with PSA 8s and 9s and 7s, it always, you know, the savvy collector will look at this and say, eh, you know, hey, nice card, but maybe I'd rather have a 9. Maybe I'd rather have a 
PSA 10 or BGS 9.5 or whatever. So I thought that was a really interesting point. That's some of the psychology and some of the things you might want to think about in your own collection. You know, where where are you? And maybe there's some value there. Maybe because people are, don't want to be middle class. You know, everybody wants to, not everybody, but a lot of people aspire to have money or aspire to be in that upper class or aspire to have the, the nice sports car and the big home and the and whatever. You know, the big, 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 big screen TV. So when people come over, they're impressed in the beautifully uh, appointed cabinets in your kitchen and whatever. But maybe there's some value there playing in the lower end of this stuff. You know, the seven, eights, and nines. Uh, you know, the higher end guys are past that. They're past the seven, eights, and nines. And maybe there's people out there that are like, I don't want to collect PSA sevens and eights and nines because it's not, it doesn't make me look cool enough. I have all this, you know, mid range stuff. And maybe there's some value there. Certainly with the older stuff, you know, maybe with this modern stuff where a lot of the, a large percent of the cards come out of the pack, you know, eight or nine or 10. Um, but with the old stuff, the old, you know, we had Stevie Nicks on, um, at Stevie Nicks on Twitter on our show, a couple, um, couple shows ago. And he was talking a lot about condition and how he would open up vintage packs and, and it would be an unopened vintage packs. And, you know, you might hit the card you're looking for, like a Joe Montana rookie or something like that, but maybe it's off center or maybe it's not, not quite the edges are really frayed on those old cards because the processes and stuff like that weren't quite as good. So finding one, um, in an open pack is rare, but finding one in really, really nice condition centered up is really rare. So um, it is hard to find cards in really nice condition. So, you you know, when we say seven, eight and uh, six, seven and eight in a 19, you know, 70s and 60s era and even before that, even a little bit in the 80s, um, a six, seven or eight might be a really nice condition card, a really strong grade on a card. So it all kind of is relative. Um, and, and I think if you're, if you're collecting PSA six, seven and eights of, you know, pre seventies era baseball cards, you're, you, you might spend a lot of money. I've seen PSA eights go for PSA eights and nines of nobody's essentially go for a lot of money because, uh, most of the cards in the set grade out at, you know, six or below or seven or below. So just wanted to throw that out there. Well, we're going to get to our, our interview with Dan Rowe. We're going to talk about um, soccer cards. We're going to talk a little bit about hockey. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the conference call that we had with Tops, where we talked about the MLS and some of their offerings that are going to be coming up with that and uh, some other stuff. So we'll come right back uh, with our interview with at that Dan Rowe on Twitter. Um, sit back, relax, we'll be right back. And we are back. We are joined today by a fellow collector and a friend and uh, someone I went to uh, Monday Night Football with uh, a couple weeks ago. And actually, your team, your team's playing here in the playoffs here coming up this weekend. So we'll definitely talk about that. Um, but before we get into that, maybe Dan, just kind of introduce yourself and maybe talk about the 
some of your collection and maybe how you got into cards and and stuff like that and we'll and we'll roll right along here yeah um yeah thanks for having me on colin yeah, no um, my name's dan Rowe, and i'm in the seattle area and we are gearing up for a huge playoff match this uh saturday it's a rematch against the saints uh, same team we saw back in december yeah that's right that's right yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a great game and yeah the city is super pumped and I can imagine that when I was there, it was a Monday night football game. I could imagine, I was remember thinking that, I think I even told you that it'd be a pretty amazing Super Bowl parade if, uh, you know, I don't want to jinx anything here, but it would be a pretty amazing Super Bowl parade if Seattle were to somehow win the Super Bowl. It seemed like, uh, the fans were, were very enthusiastic about their team. Yeah, well, we like Russell Wilson. We're just taking it one game at a time. We're just trying to go one and zero. So we'll do our best to bring our voices on Saturday afternoon. I li- I like that attitude. I like that. Let's you know, I have you on today. You know, we always talk about like baseball and football and basketball and all this stuff. On one of the, I remember you telling me a while back, talking to me about the Seattle Sounders, which is a MLS. A soccer franchise for people that might not know um and you told me they were selling out and the fans are going crazy about it and i didn't really uh maybe comprehend it or really grasp how popular that team really is in the in the scheme of mls and in sports in general maybe talk to us a little bit about that franchise how you're involved a little bit with them and how they involve the fans and kind of how the city of Seattle has really embraced having an MLS franchise there like no other city in the United States. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy here how the Sounders have took off. Uh, I don't remember what year it was, but we were granted a franchise in either 2007 or 08, and we played our first season in 09, and that was right around the time when the Sonics were taken out of town, and there's kind of um, this lull in the sports scene here. Uh, you had the Mariners that were doing horrible. The Huskies had just gone 0-12 in college football. And then this new shiny team comes to town. And um, this is actually the third incarnation of the Sounders in Seattle. And um, we got an ownership group of a local guy, Adrian Hanauer, a Hollywood movie producer, and Joe Roth. And then our celebrity um, investor, Drew Carey. Very cool. And um, Drew Carey, um, when he brought the team to town, brought this mentality of giving the fans a say. So um, when it was time to decide the team's name, they put it up for a vote. Um, the Sounders was not originally included on the um, ballot, so they did a, um, had a write-in, and the Sounders won on the write-in ballot. And then he brought the Fan Alliance, which is how I kind of got involved with the team. So I'm a, I'm a season ticket holder, and I joined them from day one, and if you could get 25 fellow season ticket holders to vote for you, uh, you would join the um, what is called the Seattle Sounders SE Alliance Council, and you're pretty much the fan's voice to the club. So you meet monthly, discuss um, things going on with the club, um, game day atmosphere, things that would affect the fans, and about maybe twice a year you meet with the um, ownership group and tell them about how things are going and then back, um, there's back and forth and they'll let you know things that maybe they're deciding on and you can give them feedback so it helps them curtail the game day experience 
Very cool. Very cool. And, and maybe talk about some of the things that maybe you talk about during those council meetings. Maybe what are some of the things that maybe have come about maybe involving the fans a little more closely? Yeah, so one of the ideas that I actually um, came up with and championed was the um, Design a Scarf competition. Um, at the beginning of every season, as a season ticket holder gift, um, the Sounders um, give every season ticket holder a brand new scarf. And I, um, at one meeting, was like, hey, let let the fans actually design them. Uh, we got a lot of creative people in our fan base, and let's give them the opportunity to design it and then um, vote. And one of the, so that was one of the um, ideas I was able to put through. I worked closely with um, the front off the team, and we got it done. And I introduced that in 2011, and we finally got it to work in 2013. And so we have a fan design scarf that's going to go out to 32,000 season ticket holders um, come March here. Well, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, talk to us. You know, I'll get into that. You got me involved with a, a conference call with Tops where we talked a lot about the MLS and stuff like that. Talk to us, maybe. I know your team is like signing guys and guys are leaving your team and, and stuff is happening in the MLS right now and in the last couple weeks and months leading up to the season. Maybe talk to us a little bit about the process of that, like how guys are re-signing with your team or leaving your team and things like that. I thought it was a little inter- – I thought it was interesting the way the MLS works with that. Yeah, well, if I knew it, I would be an owner and winning an MLS. Okay, so yeah, I see. It's that complicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, – I don't know the specifics. Um, MLS is considered a single single entity league, so all the players get contracts with the league and then um, work out deals with the specific teams. So, uh, with specifically with the Sounders, um, we were an expansion team in 09, so there was an expansion draft. So we got players that way. But um, unlike in other sports, like baseball, where there's pretty much, well, I guess you can get players from Japan, you can get soccer players from all over the world. So in our first season, we got Freddie Lundberg, who played over in England, and we signed him to a contract and were able to bring him in. And he's been in England and other leagues around the world. So uh, you can, um, we first get your team, you go through the expansion draft, and then you can get players through the college draft, and then you can also sign players from anywhere around the world. And um, the Sounders made a bunch of noise this past summer when they signed Clint Dempsey, who was playing over in England for Tottenham, and brought him back to play in the U.S. Um, he's a member of the U.S. national team, and there seems to be this movement of players coming back to the MLS because there is this perception out there that the MLS is um, not as good a league as the Premier League, which it's not, but it's 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 starting to get there. We're starting to bring players back up and players are wanting to play here. And um, the news that actually just came out today is um, Bradley, who plays for the U.S. Mets national team, plays overseas, um, is looking to potentially sign with Toronto. That's the big um, news today, Michael Bradley. So Very cool. Very cool. Um, now let's talk a little bit more about the MLS and let's talk about you, you we were involved in a conference call I don't know it was a couple of weeks ago um with Tops as they're gearing up for their first 2014 
MLS release. Um, maybe talk to us about kind of how you got how you got us involved with that, and then maybe a little bit. I know it was a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking off air. We don't remember everything that we talked about, but maybe if you can uh, remember a few things, I might be able to to chime in. But maybe talk to us about getting that call set up and what what kind of things kind of brought that along. Sure. Yeah, so one of the things um, I just wanted to touch quickly on to lead us there with the MLS is uh, the fans are super passionate about yes. their own teams. And some of the way the fans show that is they create their own subgroup or their own group outside of the season ticket holder base, and they're called supporter groups, and they passionately support their teams. So here in Seattle, we got four groups, the main one being Emerald City supporters. They're the ones that will do the big, giant TIFO displays, and a TIFO is the giant signs that they'll hang up or hang over their sections in the stadiums before soccer games, and they're pretty impressive when you see them. And so that's what the supporter groups do. They bring a voice, and they sing and chant all during the games. So I was had the opportunity with a buddy to start our own group called Eastside Supporters, and we were approached by Tops, and they were going to make a supporter group card for all of the supporter groups in um, Major League Soccer. Sweet. So I started working very closely with um, Tops and helped design and write the back of the Eastside Supporter um, su- supporter group card that's going to be released in Tops MLS 2014. Awesome. So while working with Tops, I was like, well, let's apply this um, concept of the Alliance Council to Tops. Let's get some of the Tops collectors speaking with Tops. And I, I don't collect um, baseball or football cards that much. So I, I didn't know what, I think there's, if you spend a lot of money with Tops, you can, I believe it's what, the Five Star Club or something? Yes. That's correct. So, so they have that for baseball and basketball but you're like well we like your idea let's apply it to soccer we don't have that many soccer people in the five star um group so let's bring you guys in and then i was like hey let's get calling on this you know those cards and that's how we got involved with this a call with tops and we are back sorry about the we're having some technical difficulties here folks and you might notice that dan sounds a little bit different because we had him on skype and that wasn't working and so um yeah we're using a good old landline this time yeah we're using we're going back to the old school and so let's talk about we were on an old school conference call with tops a couple weeks ago where we talked about you know they're they're coming up on this new year of, of mls soccer and they've had the license for not even a year, I think. And so they're coming out with these sets. And I know that you had some ideas and you had some suggestions and, and some things that you brought to the table because you, you know a lot more about soccer than I do. And maybe talk to, talk to us about what kind of things did, did, what kind of suggestions did you have for them? And what kind of things do you think might be coming down the line in terms of what's, what's coming ahead for 2014 MLS Tops cards. Yeah, definitely. So, as you mentioned, Tops hasn't even had the license for a year. They came out with their flagship Tops MLS 2013 last year. It's essentially your Tops Series 1, Series 2 for baseball. And it was a 200-card set that had players from 
all 19 teams in the league. Um, you got three autographs and three relic cards per box, which was pretty sweet because the box um, when it first came out was um, $100 um, for a box, but now you can get it for about $60. Um, so that was one of the issues we talked about, Tops, is um, um, with the product and its value that it seems to drop. And we, we, I, we didn't specifically get into the Tops, but for me it's like, well, I see it debuting at 100 Well, what's preventing me from waiting until it drops to 60 What can we do to this product to make people want it right away? And I know I think one of the ideas you came up with, Colin, is maybe have some kind of redemption or some kind of interactive card that would you, you want to get that card right away. You wouldn't want to wait to sit on the product for three months. You want to purchase this product and see if you can pull this chase card. Right. I don't know if I, I specifically mentioned it, but one of the cards I remember Topps used to release in Topps Stadium, Stadium Club was these super team cards where you got, they were pretty hard to get, but if you got like the Bulls or the Lakers back in those days or like the Celtics or something or the Pistons, um, the, if they won the NBA championship, you got something cool, some kind of set of, of their cards and stuff like that. And I remember they were very, they were very, very valuable back in those days standards. Um, and I, I thought something similar might work for MLS because they're, the fans are really, really excited about their teams that they're, you know, who knows who might win the MLS championship, but you know, everybody, there's certain teams I'm sure have a better shot than others. And so I think it would be a really interesting something, some kind of chase card that revolved around the team. I thought would be a really interesting idea for them because they, they would be able to, you know, we're not tying it to any individual player and the value can kind of go up and down as the season goes along. I mean, if your team's doing really bad, probably not worth much, but if your team's on the verge of winning it, those cards become very collectible and very valuable. So, um, I know that we, you mentioned value, you know, value going down on these boxes, value going down on these products. We talked a little, I don't know how much detail we can get into, but one of our ideas was maybe the packaging where you get a bunch of random guys is not the best for soccer. Can you talk about, talk on that? Is like, is that something that you really feel deters you from opening unopened products because you're going to get cards from a rival team? Yeah, um, well, me personally, since I, I first started with baseball and hockey, um, I've always had a passion for opening boxes to see what I can get, so I don't mind getting that occasional card from the rival team. I might not covet it, but I, I'm, a, I'm a set builder. Um, that's by nature, so I like putting the whole set together. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is... Um, the fans are so passionate about their team that maybe they get this really cool card, but it's of a guy from the rival team. They're more likely to throw it on a bonfire than to <laughs> hold it in their collection or maybe trade it with someone who would actually want that card. So I think one of the ideas that we, how, that we came up with, um, you and I on the conference call, was maybe having like team sets or maybe some kind of sets that are um, marketed directly to the team. So like Right, exactly. And they actually had, we won't divulge kind of their ideas or they actually had, I was actually pleasantly surprised that they 
kind of were aware of that, and they actually had. It sounded like they already had a plan and kind of something in place that is going to address that a little bit. And we'll let, I guess, everybody out there kind of discover it as it uh, emerges to the public. But uh, I thought that that was pretty cool. So I think people can look for anybody out there that's looking forward to MLS cards. You know, I you're going to have an option to maybe just get cards of your team um, in certain yeah. situations and and still have that thrill of opening a pack and there being some mystery in there. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, what else do we yeah. talk about? And, and then one of the other things I brought up, me personally, um, I'm not a fan of parallel cards. It just seems like there's just way too many in parallel cards. But I know one of the solutions you came up with to that is, uh, we didn't actually bring this up on the call. I think you and I discussed this after the call. Is maybe an idea for Tom would be, well, have the parallels, but maybe put a different picture on the cards. So there's a little bit of different collectability to it. Um, for me, I don't need a, um, a card, um, three different cards that's got the same pictures with a different colored border, but if there's three different pictures, that would be a little more collectible to me. Right, yeah, definitely. I, I like... You know, I know we've seen the photo variations and stuff like that. And sometimes to me that that is confusing after the fact, you know, years later, it's like, oh, there's these photo variations and, and you have to know the photo. But if we change the the border, you know, maybe changing the guy's photo on the front. I, I think we talked about there seems to be different jerseys that that teams wear. You know, they might have two or three different kinds and maybe having uh, maybe the more popular players, instead of just having one base card where he's maybe in his white uniform, have one where he's in his road uniform and his alternate uniform, and maybe even one where he's, you know, before the game in his suit or something. I think more of the good players in the MLS, I think, would help maybe a little bit of some of this unopened stuff. You know, if the, the price is going down, maybe there's just, not enough of the good soccer players in there. I don't know what you how you feel about that. Right. Yeah, and that was one of the other things I brought up is um, soccer product doesn't get opened as much. So if you go look on eBay um, for, let's say, a Top Series 1 um, where they have parallels numbered to 99, you can pretty much, if you want it, almost get every single player's card to number 99. I've been collecting this set for now eight months now, I think. Maybe not that long, six months. And I have even got half of the 99 parallel cards, and those are the most um, frequent, not most frequent, the least rare of the parallels. So. so it's actually kind of hard to get these cards, and maybe if more, maybe, maybe the way to go about this is, and we're kind of brainstorming, I guess, here on air, but maybe one of the ways to go about this is, if the cards are valuable inside, you know, maybe marketing it more toward the seller of these cards. Maybe mar- try to market it to to a DA card world or to a group breaker or something to to say, hey, if you open these these boxes and you get cards numbered to ninety nine, there there's some value there, and there's people that definitely want these cards. Um, you know, do you find yourself having to spend maybe more in the MLS segment? to complete a maybe a team set or to complete a certain collection than you do maybe in baseball or, or hockey? Yeah, definitely. Since the cards are rare on eBay, they, there's a little bit more of a premium. So there's kind of a give and take. So 
with the box may come down in value, but the cards seem to hold a higher value than, let's say, a, a 99 parallel of a everyday player on the Sounders would probably um, cost you a little more than a 99 parallel of an everyday player on a baseball team. Right, right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, what, what else do you remember from the call? I, I just remember they, the, I remember that they did have some very, it seemed like they identified a lot of the issues. We also kind of discovered they have quite a lead time. Um, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the MLS, MLS season begins in March and they're already yeah. printing the cards now or they're be in the process of doing that now. And so we're looking at like a three or four month lead time on some of this stuff. Um, and that does complicate things because as, as you said, as we were saying, you know, there was some, all these transactions and all this stuff going on in the MLS the last couple of weeks. And it's difficult for them if they're printing the cards now to have everybody in their right uniform and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I believe the set releases first week of March. The season starts the second or third week of March. And uh, Sounders is just re-signed to new players, so well, that's good. They're coming back to the team, so I'm excited about that. But, yeah, um, these cards are going in there. Um, they're going to um, Major League Soccer now. It's for their final approval. Right. And so they, they, they might not have, they might not, when the series one comes out, it might not seem as up to date as it should be. But again, I, we, when we were talking to them, they actually have um, a solution or a set that if you're looking forward to maybe more up to the date kind of cards, it seems like maybe a couple months from now or a couple months after the release of the first set, they might have, um, kind of a subsequent set that will deal with some of those things. It sounded promising. To me, that sounded very promising, and I would be kind of excited about that, I think, if I was a soccer collector. Yeah, definitely, because uh, you definitely want to get a card of the players on your team in your team's jersey, for sure. Right, right. And then that's, that's the whole challenge. That, you know, that was a lot of the call was, there's this challenge when 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 you're so when the fans are so passionate about their team not necessarily the players so much you know they love the players that are on their team that day but if they happen to move on or retire you know they're they're passionate about that next group that's on there that there is some complications there where it's not like baseball where i'm opening it up and if i get bryce harper you know, I'm not going to be bummed out because it's not Buster Posey or, or Jeff Kent or something like that. You know, in baseball and in football, you know, if you hit that big star, you hit that big car. I mean, sure, in, in soccer, if you hit the $100 autograph or the really rare one-of-one one card or whatever, maybe that's kind of cool. But it, it just seems like, to me, soccer fans are much more focused on their own players. Let's talk a little bit about rookie cards. There's also a little bit difference there because like you said a lot of these guys debut with their country's club or european clubs and things like that so they have some exposure they're not necessarily rookies per se and so maybe talk to us a little bit about that phenomenon and how that maybe affects the value of the boxes or the maybe the perceived value of some of these cards yeah that, that was actually one of the top we didn't talk about top of the top 
do is um, you don't really have your traditional rookie card, as, as you mentioned. Um, as, um, a lot of the players, there, there is a, a, it's called the MLS Super Draft, where the teams can get players out of college. So, but very few of those players make the team. So a lot of the players that come into MLS come from overseas or come back. So there's actually an award in Major League Soccer in addition to Rookie of the Year. They also have a Newcomer of the Year, which is for any player that comes to the league for the first time but might not be their first time playing professional soccer. I see. So I think I, when Ichiro Suzuki came over to the Mariners, he won Rookie of the Year. Or did Pujols get it? I can't remember. But I think Ichiro might have been up for it, but he's been playing baseball for 10 years already. Right, right. Professionally. So the question is, um, I think it was in Tom's mind that any time a player gets printed on a Tom's card for the first time, that's their rookie card for that player, or their first time card. So you'll see it in football, baseball, the major four sports, everyone's rookie chasing, everyone is going for those prospects. Where in soccer, you just don't get that, because you might have a new guy from Major League Soccer who's 30 and been playing professional soccer for 12 years overseas. Right, and I think we compared it a little bit to like the UFC because you could have a guy fight in maybe a different league, or he could have four or five fight. He might even be, win the, a win a belt or win a championship or be a championship contender before tops can make a card of him. And so there's, it seems to me there's that similar. They, but I know that those there's um, these autograph cards in in tops UFC that sell for good money you know if you have the jo first John Jones one or if you have the first you know whoever Chuck Liddell it's worth it is considered I don't know if it's considered a rookie but it's considered their first signature and is a very value and even though just the base cards within those set the first John Jones card or whatever is worth some decent money and I think that they could do that same thing with the MLS. You know, I know David Beckham is far from being a rookie in any league, but, you know, there's an example of most casual soccer fans remember when he came to the MLS. You know, there's guys doing that, it seems like, all the time now, and they could certainly capitalize on that um, at least to a, a certain degree. Like you said, there's no true rookie. There's no guy coming out of North Carolina that's going to come to the MLS and hit 30 goals or whatever, but, you know, there are a lot of first-time guys that, that U.S. fans might be just getting to know for the first time. Yeah, definitely, and Thompson kind of used, um, they had some redemption cards in um, their 2013 product. They had three redemption cards, and it was kind of for like an unnamed player, and the first one went to Thierry Henry, who has been in MLS for a while, but he's one of those big um, international star plays for the French national team. He got uh, an autograph in 99. That was Redemption 1. And then 2 was, I believe, to um, Cahill. I think it's Tim. And 3, um, they just left open. And then when Clint Dempsey signed with the Sounders, boom, Clint Dempsey's all of a sudden in uh, as a Redemption in top 2013. So they're kind of capitalizing on that already. Very cool. Very cool. Um do you have any additional thoughts on, on our call or maybe some things that you've thought of since then that we might we might discuss uh, a little bit further on? No, uh, we just had some good discussions about future products. We were able to give our feedback to them, so um, I think we'll see some good products coming here from Tops in the future. And I guess one of the other things that just 
Very cool. Right. Do you, is that something you think would would MLS fans gravitate? Is is it that the stuff is not selling because it's not high? Is it not high end enough? You know, is it not? Does it need to be one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars? I know you've talked to me about uh, SP game used hockey, not SP game used hockey. SP game used MLS soccer really dipped in price. Um, but is it a balance there for you? Is is it not high end enough when it's when it's like you know seventy dollars a box or, or what do you, what are your thoughts there? Maybe in South Beach. Maybe if he saw him at one of the clubs or something like that, maybe LeBron would be willing to sign. But certainly not after a game at a table or a, on the, you know, uh, at a game or something. You know what I mean? So I, that that MLS does have that advantage that, that they can they can make their athletes be more accessible, kind of like a college a college player, kind of a you know minor league franchise might would. Let's, let's talk, you know, let's, talk, I know about your other passion. Your other passion is, is hockey and hockey collecting. And let's talk a little bit, let, maybe just talk a little bit about your collection and maybe some of the things that you've been collecting over the years in terms of hockey cards.
Junior League that they have up in Canada and a couple of the teams uh, spill over into the U.S. So as a kid, I always followed the Winterhawks, and it's been cool seeing these players uh, grow up and then eventually getting drafted to the NHL and seeing them make an impact in the NHL. So when it comes to collecting hockey, I like to collect cars, rookie cars of Winterhawks and maybe NHL. Very cool. And now, the company that I think kind of has really carved out a niche, seems like here, is ITG. Seems like that you were telling me about all these different kind of ITG sets or that they have these cards of these players. Can you talk to us a little bit about, I know not a lot of us might buy ITG products, but we've certainly heard about them. So maybe talk to us a little bit about maybe some of the cards and sets that they they've come out with that kind of relate to to that league. Yeah, so ITG um, in the game, um, starting in 0506, they came out with a prospect set um, back in 0506. I think it was the 0405 hockey season. There was a lockout, so they weren't producing hockey cards. So in the game, came out with a set called Heroes and Prospects where they was essentially players that had retired from the NHL and um, players that were in this junior league that were going to make the NHL, and it was your only way to get these cards of these really good players, like Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. So that's how they started their niche, and they started making memorabilia and autograph cards, and every year they come out with Heroes and Prospects. This year's actually their 10th anniversary, and they're going to be doing some pretty cool anniversary inserts with that this year. So it's a set I've always collected because it has um, Portland Winterhawk players in it in their Portland Winterhawk jerseys, which is just cool. Right, especially for somebody that's right there watching the game. What are the values like? You know, as a guy, you know, has one of those cards and then either progresses into the NHL or, or not, what's the value like on those cards as time goes on? Is that something you've monitored? That's why, you know, I did, I know that we, we, we talked or we, I think we text, you texted me like a couple weeks ago how Beckett came out with some prices of the Young Guns, Series 1 Young Guns in this year's hockey and they might have been a little lower than people thought and so the, the, subsequently the boxes weren't quite as expensive or weren't quite as hot anymore and I know that in recent days we've seen Panini, um, release Panini titanium hockey 
essentially only to dealers, I believed in their hobby round, hobby round table in Canada and they're selling it online. Um, part of, you know, talk to us. Why isn't this double rookie class seem to really be selling? Is it because ITG already came out with these cards of, of these rookies or are you guys as hockey fans just not? interested in a double rookie class like i i i remember them hyping this up early last year was how the next year's hockey was going to be amazing what why is is it the only these sets you know maybe explain to some people out into me uh what's going on here Why do you think that is? Is it just just different mix, or just just maybe the reputation of the brand? It seemed to me titanium has had some selling points. I know they had those really low serial numbered rookies in there. Is it just too hard to hit a card in there, or why why wasn't maybe that set uh, in particular maybe as well received? Do you think? So they've always they've already raised the price of the box. So I can buy 20 boxes and I'm paying 109 each. Um, I see. Does, do you know if, if it went, it went to Canada dealers? I'm guessing that blowout cards and, and those kind of guys, they're not, they're not able to sell it. I see. I see. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I know it's. I think it was one Canadian distributor that got exclusive to it. I see. Okay. And so I don't, and I don't think a Canadian distributor can sell to a US dealer. I see. Okay. So they'd have to get it through some kind of 
border smuggling or something similar. Right, it probably wouldn't make sense. Make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, very. That's interesting. Well, Dan, we've gone we've gone on for a little bit here, and I, and it's five thirty. Yeah, so let's. I've got some random questions here that I'm going to ask you, okay. and um, just some random off the wall things that uh, I did on our last interview when we had Stevie Nicks on uh, our show as a couple about a month ago. So I'm going to ask you some random questions. So let's start off with, um, first of all, we'll stay with the hobby. What would you change, things you would change about the hobby? What would you change if you could be kind of, you know, president for a day of the hobby and you'd have the ability to change a few things? What What's some things that you would change? Well, one of the things I think I already touched on was um, kind of changing the way parallels are done. Um, I, I just like to see a little more variation and So we're, we're maybe missing, if we're, you know, if we're in charge of the hobby, maybe we're missing the boat a little bit on connecting with some of the younger demographic and maybe some of the other price points that are out there. You know, it seems like the price points in cards, it's like you either spend five, if you have a card shop, you're, you're going to be able to find a pack for five, five, six, seven dollars. Um, and it just goes up from there. You know, it seems like. And there's not a lot of middle ground. It's from five dollars to I either buy a lot of packs or I just buy the whole box for a hundred and ten or a hundred and twenty-five dollars, and it goes up from there. There's there's no twenty point. You know, I know we have the the blaster boxes at Target, but in the hobby level, we have no twenty dollar price point. We have no twenty five dollar price point. We have no fifty dollar price point, or even kind of a seventy five dollar price point. It's it's. It kind of yeah, kind of start. Yeah, seventy five is kind of like a twenty dollar bill almost. Whereas I, I'd like to see us get down into some of this. You know, you can repackage. You don't have to repackage National Treasures, but uh, you know, certain pro. Tops does it a little bit. Um, you can package products up a little bit differently and try to, you know, like I said, hit different price points. So that, that's just me. Um, that's my my opinion, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, um, with hockey, you had your victory hockey, which was kind of like your lowest end product from upper deck, which would be a buck or two bucks a pack. They've now stopped making that. Um, score was a dollar a pack with um, hockey for three years, but this year they changed it up. Um, they added more autographs and, and for the first time this year, memorabilia cards. So that now went up to seventy, hundred dollars a box, depending on whether you got the jumbos or not. So there's kind of that move up to. There's no low-end cards anymore. It's all mid to high-end. Right, yeah. And it, it, it's... I mean, it, it, the economy's tough right now, too. So is, the low-end is not just going to hit kids, and kids aren't going to be the only ones that are open that. There's a lot of people out there that don't have a whole lot of extra money that, you know, $5, $10, $20 is all they can afford on cards. And because, you know, like you said, 75 is kind of the starting point if you want something decent out of a box. 
it, 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 we're kind of icing some people out, but I don't know. We've, we could go, we could have a whole 45 minute show on that, but let's, do you, do you collect anything else? Like other than cards, is there something else that you collect either as passionately or more passionately than cards? I would always go through my chain trying to see if I found anything interesting. Um, when I was a kid, I would always see if I could maybe find the odd silver coin that might have still stayed in circulation from the 60s. Um, so yeah, coins. Um, my grandmother collected coins. She's got a nice set. Um, she, my grandmother lives in um, England. She, um, she's from England and she has some nice coins from the 19, um, 1700s that are in really good condition and seeing that set and connecting with the history I was just really cool so I, I just always like coins because of the history behind them very cool very cool I do like coins myself as well um, the set is there a set out there like if you had a friend that was like hey Dan I'm I'm just getting into collecting hockey or I'm just getting into MLS or I'm just getting into whatever sport is there a set that you would recommend either current being currently made or maybe even a past set that you really liked or you think would be cool for for someone else to collect? Well, if someone was just getting into hockey, I, I would recommend Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2. That's where you get your um, Young Gun rookie cards. You get six of those a box, and those are pretty much your marquee rookie cards from any um, uh, rookie class. Uh, they're not numbered, but they seem to be the top rookie card that's not numbered in terms of value for what you get. And with the double rookie class this year, um, Upper Deck Series 1 was loaded, but um, as that dealer from Canada said, they don't get all their value. But um, historically, Upper Deck um, Series 1 and 2, the Young Guns, those are everyone's best rookie cards, so um, Series 1 and 2. And... We also touched on Harold's prospects. Um, last year and this, they introduced a 3D card, which I thought was really cool for all these prospects that were um, in the 2013 draft. So they had these 3D cards and they were done really well. And that's a set I would recommend for someone to collect. So if you're just getting the hockey series one, series two, and then if you want a prospect in the game, Harold's prospects. Interesting, very interesting. Okay, now we're going to go... Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to add in, um, uh, Seth Jones, um, that, the Portland Winterhawk player, had uh, one of those 3D cards in um, Hero's Prospect, and I uh, was able to get um, an autograph from him in person when he was playing in the Memorial Cup up in Canada, hmm. and it was just cool to have this autograph on this 3D card, because it looked like the autograph was behind his like, hockey suit, so it was kind of... The autograph kind of got a 3D look to it as well. Oh, nice. That's interesting. Okay. Um, what's your favorite TV show? What are you watching on TV these days? Um, I, I, I like a lot of genres. So, um, comedy. Um, me and my wife enjoy watching Modern Family. Um, when it comes to dramas, we really like the British version of Sherlock. Okay. Um, pretty much every episode is a mini movie and they're really well done. And then we're... I'm a bit of a sci-fi nerd, so Doctor Who. Okay. Um, like that show a lot. Interesting. Very cool. How? What? Where would you? If you could just take one vacation, like a year, 
you're only given one only you could only leave home once and, and go on vacation where where would you go I see. Okay. <laughs> Where would you cruise to first? Like, what would be your first destination, I guess? Um, somewhere in Asia, I think. Okay. Maybe like Japan or Thailand. I, or I've always stayed in the Western Hemisphere or um, Europe, so I just experienced something different. Okay. Uh, Okay, that's it. I've never been on a cruise, so that sounds, that actually sounds kind of interesting. Might be something that I might have to try. Okay, last one. I, you're married, so I can't ask you that question. And I'm pretty sure I know who you're going to think can win the Super Bowl. And, okay. Yeah, right, right. How about, I have NBA finals down here. How about the NHL? Do you have an opinion on who's going to win the NHL championship, Stanley Cup this year? Very cool. Well, Dan, we've had you on for about an hour here. I know that you might even be on the clock right now. Um, so hopefully your boss doesn't listen to the show. Uh, but, uh, oh, you're not on the clock. Okay. That's good. I was, I was going to say, well, I mean, maybe it would have been good. You would have been getting paid here. Um, d- talking about sports cards, which, which is kind of nice, but, uh, we might have you back on. I know that we're going to have another discussion with Tops at some point here, maybe closer to the release date of their first set or maybe right after it comes out, maybe talk about some of the kind of things that we have in there. But you got any parting words for everybody out there in the sports card universe? Well, um, with the, um, with the conference calls we've been having with Tops, I know Tops would like to get a few more people on the call. Yeah. So if you are a soccer fan and want to, um, and maybe make a difference and with um, soccer cards at top, I recommend them contacting you and okay. maybe see if we can um, get them on. Yes, I strongly encourage anybody because I kind of felt like I didn't know anything about soccer. I had to go on, like, I read all this stuff about soccer and kind of, like, whatever I could find on the Internet, you know, an hour or two before the call. So I educated myself the best of my abilities. But I think it would be awesome if anybody out there, you can contact me, sportscardshow at gmail.com or on Twitter at sportscardradio or wherever. I mean, you can, you guys can find me. Um, and just send me an email and we'll get you on our next one. Like I said, maybe in a month or two as we get closer to their first release or maybe even after it. Um, it, it would be great to, to have more people, especially passionate soccer fans, talk about, you know, 
what kind of stuff they want, what kind of stuff they don't want, um, and we can maybe develop some ideas here. I think it'd be kind of cool. Definitely. Well, thank you, Dan, again, for coming on today. Um, again, we'll catch up with you, I'm sure, some other time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Colin. All right. Thanks, Dan.